This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Find Andy, beat writer for the Utah Jazz at the Salt Lake Tribune on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I'm the co-host of Gunther and Ben, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6. Andy, it's been a while. It has been a while, but I'm excited to talk about the first week of NBA basketball and, of course, uh, especially the Utah Jazz with you guys. Uh, good, to, good to be back on. Always fun to uh, be talking a little jazz basketball. and should be a big year this year. Again, the Jazz are very good. Uh, and that looked clear during their undefeated preseason, which I didn't think was, you know, you can't tell a lot from the record of, of preseason, but I thought we learned a few things throughout preseason that, that were good signs and some of them were a little concerning. Yeah, it was really the last game against Sacramento in which the Jazz really looked good, but it was so it was such a like weak performance from the Sacramento Kings that it was hard to take a lot from it. And then you'll remember that, you know, even though the Jazz ended up 5-0, and two of those wins against Australian teams Two of those wins came as comeback fourth quarter wins right. when the teams were playing their third units really Portland against and, each other and Portland, Portland and, Toronto. and Toronto, right? And so you know it's it was uh, you know while five and zero looks really good, I, I guess we we've seen early in this regular season that there were more problems, uh, and, and you know certainly you you excuse the loss to the Golden State Warriors, but the the Memphis loss showed some of the Jazz's weaknesses that I think did appear a little bit in preseason. Uh, and then the Jazz got into the regular season and squeaked past Sacramento and then lost back-to-back games at home. I don't think there was any issue with losing at home in the fashion you did against Golden State. That's just going to happen. Golden State's going to do that. Obviously, Steph is on a tear early to start the season. Uh, Kevin Durant was brilliant in the first half of that game, and then it just so happened you didn't grab a rebound with three-tenths of a second to go. Right. That had you done that or touched the ball even, you would have won that game. Jonas Drebko, just with a little extra motivation, sneaked in there and got the uh, the game-winning tip. Then the Memphis game was awful and a little concerning. Jazz looked pretty miserable in that game. And then last night you went on the road and won at Houston in very impressive fashion. I might say that the Golden State performance was their best performance of the year probably. so far. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they lost. But how well Golden State played that game uh, and how the Jazz kind of hung with those punches. And, and honestly, that 81-point first, first half was some of the best offense I've ever seen from the Utah Jazz, period. Uh, for them to be able to do that against what is a good defensive Golden State team was was really promising. And, you know, certainly you have to say that the wins against Sacramento tainted because it's Sacramento. and Sacramento's good this year. They're not no, good, but they've been playing well. Okay, they have been playing well. I don't they just think beat Memphis good. last night, right? Which is good. Okay. Jazz really struggled against Memphis yeah. at home, and they beat Memphis. That was good. They played. They beat OKC on the road. Now, OKC's not very good, right? And those are right. the two so, wins. So, OKC, yeah, Russell Westbrook's injured. Uh, still Memphis coming off a back to back. You still went on the road and got a sure. win. Sure, you know, and I'll take that from Sacramento. Maybe Sacramento surprisingly challenges for thirty wins this year. Okay, that's not a good team. You know, that's a team that the Jazz should beat, and they did. 
They did. <laughs> That's what you uh, got to do. And, and you know and what? And you said shorthanded this. Shorthanded Houston. You said this about Sacramento, and I thought it was very accurate. Uh, at the Salt in the Salt Lake Tribune, but might have been on a triple team. Okay. That might be the best game Sacramento plays all year, considering it's a home game. It's the season opener. Jazz were on the road. Jazz had just played them the last game out. They were trying to showcase what they were. The fans were going to be crazy. Like that's a perfect storm to lose yeah. to Sacramento. At least it might be the most energy they had all year, and and they shot really well from the three point line. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein went off. I mean, yeah, Sacramento played really well, and so I, I do think it was a quality win for the Jazz. And Willie Cauley Stein's had a couple of good games already this season. It's closing in on a contract year for him, or it is a contract year for him. And Willie Cauley Stein's not a bad player. He's not a great player, but he's not a bad player. Yeah. I- I'll be honest, I thought he was a bad player after the preseason game where he just looked lost. Yeah. And then he, he was really smart and actually executed the game plan and was very athletic and dunked over Rudy Gobert a couple of times. He looks I mean, like he, a, a decent NBA player stuck in Sacramento, which so hap- often happens with decent NBA players who end up in Sacramento. Yeah, he, he seems like a guy who, like, if you put him next to a really talented point guard, that you know, you put him next to Chris Paul, then he's not that far away right. from DeAndre Jordan. Replace Clint Capella with... Uh, Willie Cauley Stein, he's not as good as Clint Capella, but he can fill a role that you need. Yeah, he could be their backup center, and right. it would be it would be perfect. Like I, I would put him above JaVale McGee. I think he's a better player than JaVale McGee. I would agree with that. JaVale McGee's been in the NBA for ten years. You know, yeah, although you know he had to dollars. leave the NBA for two seasons sure. because he was you know so shocked and a fool, right? Like, right. but I you know I think yeah I think Willie Cauley Stein is above there. I think he's got an NBA future, um, and yeah, I think he had one of the, the best games of his young career. Against the Jazz and on opening night. All right, we'll take your tweets at Andy V. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. One of the things we really like to do to start these shows is take Jazz fans' questions or thoughts and talk about what you guys want to talk about. Otherwise, we're just going to talk some Jazz basketball and some NBA. Andy, are there any questions? Yeah, we got one already from Adam Rylewski from Australia asking, what's your thoughts on the offensive rebounding so far with the Jazz? They said it was an emphasis, and to me it doesn't seem evident. I may just be wrong on this. So... Here's where this is probably coming from Dennis Lindsay's quote on Media Day, where he said he thought that the Jazz could start to to crush switching defenses by winning on the offensive glass. And one of the things Quinn Snyder said, because you, I think you asked him this, it was in a scrum. You said, how does a team that has the same, ro- I may have even asked this question, but who cares? Whatever. Uh, how does a team that has roster consistency, nearly identical from last year to the next year, how do they improve? And one of the things he said, you know, was uh, Ricky Rubio can turn the ball over less or Rudy can do this a little bit better and we can offensive rebound a little bit more. So clearly a couple of different front office people or jazz brass people, so the coaches in the front office, have mentioned offensive rebounding as a room for improvement. Now I'll say this. Quinn pulled me aside in Sacramento and said, our number one focus is getting better shots and defending the shot. So he is doing anything possible to defend the shot and still... Uh, prioritize transition defense over offensive which rebounding. Which means not offensive Which rebounding. means, yeah, he's going to leave Rudy Gobert out there, and if Derek Favors is close to the rim too, he'll let him go after the offensive rebound. But by and large, he doesn't want guys like Jay Crowder, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio kind of lingering around for, for offensive rebounds is there any, unless they're in kind of the area. There, and there's that. not a set NBA philosophy yet on what to do with offensive rebounds, right? The value of them versus the value of getting back. There are some coaches that prefer one way. There's some coaches that prefer the other. That being said, like all of the top coaches are 
transition defense guys. Yeah. You know, honestly, like other than this team right now, the Oklahoma City Thunder that we've got on our TV screens, they're the only ones that are really committing guys to offensive rebounds. And honestly, 60, 75 percent of it might be just Steven Adams as right. a offensive rebounding yeah. force. If you like, have Ed Davis, you should offensive rebound because he's a good offensive yeah. rebounder. If you don't have him, Portland this year, maybe don't crash the boards as hard. Right. And, and honestly, you know, there aren't teams that are going all in on offensive rebounds in the same way that there are. 5, 10, even probably 15 teams in the league that are going all in on transition defense and just sending zero or one guy to to try to get those offensive boards. Switch to that mic, Andy. We've okay. been having problems with number five all week. Let's see if that sounds uh, a little better. Is this working? Yeah, you're sounding a little softer. All right, cool. Uh, and we also got a tweet from Adam saying your, uh, your mic's off. Well, now we're... Now we're not fine. off, we're on, good. but just not sounding quite right. Maybe you were tinny. Uh... Tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Do you want to finish any more thoughts on uh, offensive rebounding for the yeah, Jazz? Yeah, so, I mean, right now, let's see what they are. Uh, just in the league, they're 24th in, in offense rebounding. So, obviously, that's that's not good. Um, and I, I would expect that to go up a little bit. I would not expect them to be a top 10 offensive rebounding team. Um, and some of that also is I don't know how much... I think teams around the NBA are going to switch a little bit more. I don't know how much more that those teams are going to switch. And you, you know, want to explain why switching uh, allows for or dissuades from offensive rebounding or defensive rebounding? Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of what Dennis was talking about. Is when you have a guy switch in a on a pick and roll, then you end up having a small man guarding a big guy or a big guy out on the floor further out. Right, probably both. And so what you end up with is, you know, I think a lot of people say you want to take advantage of that switch by giving the ball to the big man in the post and just having him play, you know, mouse in the house. Over. Yep. Yes, mouse in the house a little bit. But really what you can do is have that small try to take on the big guy, get a good shot. And then if it misses, that big guy should be in a good position to get the offensive rebound anyway. Um, and I thought cleaning the glass had a good study on this. Ben Falk over there uh, said in some switching scenarios, Offensive rebounding rates are at like 40% rather than league average is about 25%. So um, right now the Jazz are at 21% to give you an idea of where, where they rank. And I think, you know, there's a, a possibility you could, with more switching defense, you could get that number up and, and try to take advantage of it that way. I don't know that Rudy Gobert is actually all that good. He's very good at tipping balls above short opponents, but he's not great at boxing them out. He Rudy Gobert is not... This is going to sound weird because he's always a top 10 rebounder. He's not like a great rebounder. He's not like this particularly instinctual rebounder the way the best in the world mm-hmm. are, the way the Dennis Rodmans could be six foot seven or Chuck Hayes or whatever. You know, right. these guys who are crazy rebounders who just know how to read the basketball and go get it. The good news is it doesn't matter. He's so long and so big. He's a great rebounder because of that. But I don't know if he's instinct rebounder the way really the best of the best that have ever been are those types of Agreed. guys. And I, I don't know that he takes advantage of those mismatches in a way that you uh, could hope he would. Also, would you rather have four points from Rudy Gobert because he gets offensive rebounds twice a game and he crashes the boards, or would you rather him get back every time and play defense and probably can stop hopefully five or six points, honestly, by right. getting back? And honestly, Rudy Gobert is not who we're talking about. Rudy right. Gobert is going to crash the offensive glass because right. he's there. But like everyone else is, is, for the most part, getting back in transition defense because that is, again, what the Jazz have have hung their hat on over the last three seasons and, and uh, are very, very good at it. But, and we should say this to Quinn, we're being robbed of more Donovan Mitchell put-back dunks because he's not crashing those boards. Yeah. Like he had against the Lakers last year. Or the Rockets put-back was one right. of the best put-back dunks I've ever seen. Right. Hit two of those last year. Hit two self-tip dunks. He had one on the road at Portland. It wasn't as spectacular, and it kind of happened so quickly. It was just like, 
That doesn't happen. No one does that. How I did that happen? I remember you pointing me at, that out to me, and obviously, like it was, it was a special play, but it was like a, a you you thought it was like such a unique play because it never happens. Any, anyone in the league for it to, to right. And then of course it was so spectacular when it did against Houston because there was so much authority. But yeah, it happened on Portland, and it just it so never happens that it's like the uh, you've seen what's the Will Ferrell basketball movie? Uh, Semi pro. Semi pro. And they throw the alley oop for the first time, yeah. and the ref calls a technical <laughs> foul and stops Two the game. Tacks. It's just you don't you don't know what happened, so you have to stop the game. <laughs> it's kind of what happened on that dunk from Donovan Mitchell. It just was, that doesn't uh, happen, so it couldn't be legal because no one else has ever physically done that. That's one of my favorite scenes, and that's a that's a really like, underrated a basketball movie, b Will Ferrell movie. Yeah, Anchorman and all these other ones get so much attention. I actually think maybe it's because I'm a basketball dork, and some of the lingo they use is really funny, like putting it in the blender when he's down on the post, and he's yeah. got he's just really funny. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, more questions. Yeah, uh, from Spandex Larry asks, if the Jazz have a disappointing first half of the season offensively, who is a possible trade candidate that could help? Is there a specific position that we would look for? Hmm. You can always add more shooting. I would say the, okay, if the Jazz have a disappointing first half of the season offensively, I think the Jazz will be, yeah, looking to add more shooting and looking to add more spacing on the floor. And the way they would be able to do that would be to, Go away from some of the big ball lineups, the the Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert combo. And I know we've been talking about that for like five seasons now, uh, but it does seem that for what you know, the league is moving smaller and smaller and smaller, and maybe yep. this is is getting more and more difficult to put Derek Favors at the four. You know, against Houston, uh, the Jazz did run a Favors Gobert combination, and in the, in the fourth quarter, and that at the beginning of the fourth quarter against the Carmelo Anthony Clint Capella lineup, and on paper you think, okay, that should work. And it kind of tore the Jazz to shreds a little bit. Quinn had to call a timeout, put Jay Crowder back in the game, and and you know make it work. Now you know James Harden ended up leaving, and and it was a it wasn't a close game at the end, but you know it definitely could have been based on that little stretch. And I, I don't want to read too much into that. I don't think that was Derek Favors' fault or anything like that. But I think it is clear that Derek Favors is a center now. Um, and so you could be looking for more help at that stretch four position to give yourself a few options. Uh, Derek hasn't been that good this year. And Jay's been really good so far this year. He wasn't great last night. Jay wasn't great against Houston. He shot the ball pretty poorly. Before that, Jay Crowder had been spectacular. Had as good a three-game stretch, three games, but as good a three-game stretch as he had had in a Jazz uniform. And that was promising because he had said, you know what, I'm going to be a much better player next year now that I know the offense, now that yeah. I know my spots. He was shooting like 45% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line, averaging 15 points a game on seven shots. So yeah, it's unheard of. I, I thought Jay Crowder was one of the Jazz's best players against Memphis. And, and you know, contrasting that, maybe, I thought maybe Derek the only Favors— good player. Maybe. And maybe Derek Favors was uh, maybe their worst player because he, he could not finish around the rim. He was kind of getting beasted a little bit by Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, I'll say this in, in Favors' defense— uh, his first game against Sacramento was excellent. 18 points. Correct. Uh, finished incredibly well. Cut incredibly well. Defended well. Was better was, than was Rudy. Spectacular. Was better than Rudy in that game. Uh, and we heard that he had knee soreness leading into the Memphis oh. game. So uh, I asked him about it point blank after that game and said, look, is your knee okay? And he said, yes. I don't know if that was tough guy favors yeah. or if and that was... And he's done was, that before. And absolutely. Like favors, that, he's a liar. In, yeah. About his injuries. Yeah, okay. He's that, a good guy. He's a liar when it comes to his injuries. I mean, that whole season two years ago when he was dealing with back he, and he knee He lied injuries. about getting his knee scoped because he had an injury on his knee with a Band-Aid over it right where you get your knee scoped. And he was limping around. And we said, did you get your knee scoped? He said, no. And it was clearly in the offseason he did. I remember we went to a primary children's uh, charity event. And Derek Favors was there, you know, showing, uh -huh. giving kids balls and all that great stuff. And uh, 
we went from one floor to another in in primary children's and it was he had to like lean on the railing and uh, use it hardcore on uh, on while we're going up and down the stairs. I told stairs. you I saw him at the phone store in the off season one time. Like clearly he was in town, and uh-huh. I saw him over at the phone store. And it was the off season, and yeah, he was limping around like he'd been shot. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god. And like yeah. I actually think Jazz PR went to go talk to him and was like, "You shouldn't use yeah. stairs around we need, the media. We need more elevators. Like, yeah. Oh, that's that's not good. He's yeah. playing basketball. Like right. anyway. So Derek Favors, we He's can't trust guy. on the on the how much an injury is affecting him, but it is possible that an injury was affecting him against Memphis and, and maybe against Houston as well. Uh, next, I think you missed a question. Let me see if yeah, we I've got, uh, have I've it got one here. more. Uh, well, we, do you have one from Jordan Bindrup? Uh, it says, what's your take on the Houston-Jimmy Butler trade? Are they in full panic mode? We'll get to that. We yeah, should that, talk about that. that. We're going to do that a, a full that. segment on that. Uh, all right, sorry. Back to Jazz questions. My fault. You're good. Bad uh, Jimmy Cricket asks, what's happening at the four? Is Derek Favors injured? How do things look when Tabo comes back? Obviously, we just talked about those first two questions. Uh, but I think Tabo Cephalosha will get some of those minutes at the four again as the Jazz play more small ball four lineups. Um, I was a little bit worried from what we saw in Tabo Cephalosha in the preseason. He I thought he lost. A, I thought he lost a step defensively and hadn't really figured out how to be a contributor on the offensive end. A lot of guys after knee surgery take a year to get back. And how old's Tabo? Like 35, 36, 34. right? 34. So, 34? Like, he's already close to the end of his career. Right. And then you need a year to come back on top of that? That just might mean your career is over. Right. And, and I, I want to be optimistic because it, it was not a major ACL surgery. It was a sprained MCL, which from what I understand is a more minor injury. And what... The Jazz training staff has told me, you know, is they felt like he could get back to 100%. And he's a 12-year veteran in the NBA who yeah. probably is not stressed so much about making sure his numbers look good in the preseason. Exactly. Uh, and he, you know, now has five games off now to work on whatever he did poorly and try to figure it out and, and be ready for the first game he can play, which is, I believe, the Dallas game. Uh, but I, I do think there there might be a battle there between him and George Nying, who I think has looked good this season. Yeah, he's been good so far. Uh, and will probably deserve minutes as the season goes on. Yeah. Jazz and, aren't playing him now to not play him later. Generally, you kind of work your way into a lineup. You don't start in the lineup always and get worked out. I think if the Jazz, right. I think, you know, generally, hey, George Nying has now spent three months in practice getting better. We think we're ready to run him out there. That's not the case. The Jazz started playing him in game one. Yeah. So clearly they'll be comfortable playing him. They played him against Golden State a bunch. I mean, did they play him in game one because they wanted him to play in game one or because Tabo was was out? Possibly. But he also does things that Tabo doesn't do. Yeah. He's a pure shooter. Not only shooter, but he really shoots the ball very purely. I mean, you're comfortable with him taking those threes. As you mentioned, shot almost 50% from the three-point line in the G League last year. So he'll get out there and he'll take some shots. And as you mentioned, yeah, he's slow. He can't get everyone on defense that he needs to. And that's why he's not going to ever be a starter, most likely. But you can put him out there for seven or eight minutes a game. He's right, not going to kill maybe you. Maybe even more. You know, honestly, with his shooting ability, I, I think he may be like a Ursan Ilyasova kind of type where you can play him 15 minutes. I, I That's asking a lot, but it's not like Ilyasova or uh, Bielitsa are the fastest yeah. players in the world either, right. you know? Right. Bielitsa's pretty special offensively. George might be too. George's pretty special. He does some really nice things with the ball in his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Bielitsa. I don't know. He had a good game against the Jazz, I thought, in game one. Yeah, He's he the worst great. defensive player in the league. He can't stay in front of a you know a hot dog cart moving it. The elite is? Yeah. No, I don't. He's he not just the worst cannot move, but he can't move his feet. He just yeah, he, doesn't move his feet at all. But he's very valuable offensively. I get why the Jazz were interested in him for a little bit, apparently, in the offseason. Yeah. Why Sacramento was interested in him makes no sense of whatsoever. Yeah, I like that they but... outbid Philly for him. <laughs> That's, That's why they're Sacramento. Right. Uh, after the they goal- have like... Eight young big men. Why would you sign Bielitsa right. when you have 
already way too many fours and fives. Uh, That's all. There was a question: Who could the Jazz go after offensively to try to to come in and bring in some some help? That was one. Of, that was the question that we kind of glossed yeah. over. Bielita. We said a big guy. <laughs> yeah, we said yeah. a big guy. I I mean honestly yeah I, I, that's kind of the the caliber of player that I'm thinking of uh, is a a shooter uh, a guy who's probably going to play the three or the four and can help you out there um, you know honestly with the Cavs falling apart Kevin Love has been named I think his contract makes him prohibitively expensive so much money. for what he's going to add to the Jazz two seasons down the road How about Nikola Vucevic um, who's shooting a red hot 83 percent from the three point line this year Yeah it's not uh, Vucevic you don't think Vuce that's gonna, a five You don't think that's going to hold up his 83 percent three point I also shooting. don't think that's not going to hold Yeah if I, it does get him. Go get that guy. Yeah, go get the eighty-three percent guy. <laughs> if he's shooting eighty-three percent like, from the three-point line, I want him. Do you have to listen to JP Chunga's your producer on mm-hmm. the Gunther and Ben show? He came to me with a hypothetical about what if NBA players, what if each NBA team but the Golden State Warriors had one person who could fly? Mm-hmm. Every team, all twenty-nine teams, beat the Warriors. The Warriors become the worst team in the league if they have no one who can fly, and every other team has a flyer. Correct. That's like if Vucevic shot eighty three percent from three. He never misses. It's then great. that your team wins the title. Congrats, Larry Bird times four. It's yeah. great. Uh, he only has this is a little, he has one more year on his deal at thirteen million bucks. So that's the type of name. Yeah, it's just another big body. Yeah, he's 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 such a five though that like I I don't think that makes sense for the Jazz. Trade favors. I mean, that's who you'd be trading, and I don't know if they want to do just a you know an expiring contract for an expiring contract. I don't know if that makes sense. And I don't know that trading favors for Vucevic solves the problem because because Derek Favors is so good as your backup five. What right. you're really looking for is a guy who can play next to Gobert or Favors right. as a center and, and uh, open up more space for those guys to do what they do best, which is roll to the rim and finish. Uh, we got another question. Why don't we wait and we'll answer it on the other side. Uh, Jordan Bindrup and Andrew Snyder have more questions coming in about the Utah Jazz. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. We'll be back answering your questions. Coming up next on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk. To the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Hey, here's a question for you. Where's the weirdest place you've ever seen a jazz player? Tweet at us. At Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops, because it's a small place. You know, Utah's not very big. Where's the uh, where's the strangest place you've ever seen a jazz player? Uh, James, our producer, says Maverick on North Temple. Yeah, I saw Jonas Drebko there getting gas. I can't hear him. After uh, the game. Anyways, <laughs> right yeah, there's weird places. Me. saw Karolinko in Park City one time, which isn't unique. Those guys got to go and hang up in Park City, I'm sure. Um, they're all over the place. Because it's a small school. It's a small world. I'm trying to come up with, like... Oh, you're on the wrong mic, Andy. You went to the wrong mic again. I'm trying to come up with there interesting stories, and I... I... I'll, I'll come up. It might take a minute, though. I'm sure. We'll, we'll get some A lot of jazz and, fans have seen yeah. some weird Also, we'll just take your jazz questions. We've got a bunch of them coming That works in. better. Uh, should we go with Andrew Snyder's question? When do we start worrying about Rubio's performance? Ten games after the All-Star break. Because he's always really crappy in the first half of the season. I, I would go sooner than that. Cause... Yeah, I would hope so. But what are you going to do? This is how he always plays. Yeah. He did this in Minnesota several times. He did it last year with the Jazz. And then he picks it up after the second half of the season, and he's great. And I don't know how you deal with that. I don't know what you do about that. I, I do think you you have a quick 
trigger on him, you know, to pull him off to the bench if you need to. And, and I think, I, honestly, Quinn's been pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he benched him for Grayson Allen to end the Memphis game, right? Like, Yeah, I asked Quinn about that, and he seemed to not know what I was talking about. Maybe I asked a stupid question, or maybe I was wrong, but against Sacramento, Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell closed the game. Mm-hmm. And then against Golden State, Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio closed the game. And then against Memphis, Grayson Allen and Donovan Mitchell closed the game. And I asked Quinn about that, and he acted like I was wrong, and he'd only been playing the same players every time. And maybe I just asked it strangely, or he thought I was talking about the rotation throughout the regular part of the game, or whatever. But w- what's he looking for? Just consistency? Just anyone who can play? I think you know, yeah. If, if Rubio's not shooting, and teams are, you know, hedging off of him so much that they're basically sending Rubio's man into the paint to stop Donovan Mitchell or Joe Ingles from doing their thing, like then then he becomes a real liability. I, I wrote this in the triple team last night. I think. Basically, if teams are playing Rubio straight up or semi-straight up, I think he does enough on the defensive end uh, and honestly enough still on offense to kind of get the team into it. And, and he is a very good half-court kind of... He's an initiator. Play, initiator, yep. yeah. Uh, I think he does enough to keep him on the floor. If teams are hedging off of him so much that it's starting to impact Donovan and, and Joe and kind of what the Jazz do in, in every other facet in the game, then you have to get Dante or Grayson or Alec Burks or someone else out there. Uh, Royce O'Neal, another option, and and so uh, I, I think that's just kind of something to watch for. Is if if he's not making them pay, you got you got to go to the bench pretty quickly. And and I do think to Quinn's credit, like you pointed out, in in three of the, or I guess two of the last four games, he he has done that. Um, but you're right. Like I I do think you you start worrying about it sooner than ten games after the All Star break. Um, but yeah, I was being facetious, but yes. Also, maybe it impacts whether or not you bring him back next year or the price you bring yeah. him back at next year. For because sure. you can't have a guy who sucks half the year. Right. And he's not good. He's not good right now. He had six assists and six turnovers last night and was, what, one of eight from the floor? Yeah. And four points. That's You can't have that, especially if you're a team that's seriously thinking about competing for a championship. And the Jazz shouldn't be that far off of thinking that because who was the other contender in the West going into the season? It's Houston. Right. Houston has not looked very good. There'll be difference with when Chris Paul's on the floor, but man, they're going to miss Trevor Ariza and Luke and Bob Mute. Yeah. Now, if they and go we, and trade four first round draft picks and get Jimmy Butler, that's a different conversation. But the Jazz could legitimately be in the Western Conference playoffs this year, and it wouldn't stun anybody. No, absolutely not. Yeah, the Western Conference Finals, and I think. Uh, yeah, Finals. I apologize. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the there absolutely is that opportunity, and you know, I think Ricky Rubio can be the bigger part of that. And honestly, if he has a bigger games 5 through 10, which is in- entirely possible, then this is just a-, a blip on the radar. You know, I do think that we have this tendency to overrate the first four, three, four, five games when compared to the rest of the season. But, um, you know, I-, I do think that there's some some question marks. I'll also say this, again, in, in on behalf of Ricky, he does have the... Quinn called it a, that his thumb was jammed. Yeah. He has tape on his finger. I don't know which it is or what's going on with that, but I do think that is impacting... Is shooting right now, um, and you know, so if that does heal and he gets better, maybe he needs a couple of games off in order to do it. He was also spectacular um, during the preseason. He shot the ball really, really well in the mm-hmm. preseason. Yeah. So it would be weird if he was great in the preseason, all of a sudden was just terrible in the regular season. When there is some change, teams play better. But he was playing against the other starters right. for the most part. So. It, it may just be variance, and and honestly, he was great against Golden State. I mean, his defense yeah. on Steph was exceptional. And again, he might be hurt shooting the ball, and it might just make it hard to release the ball. His defense honesty. on James Harden last night was great, too. Yeah, he is. R- Ricky's good. I, I, I speak in hyperbole 
for shortcut. But yeah, you can't have him be terrible and go one for eight. You're gonna he has to be better than that from the floor. He's good defensively, and again, he's a good initiator. And I don't just mean like he goes down and runs a pick and roll and then passes the ball. He does things uniquely that nobody else on the Jazz still can do, and very yeah. few players in the league can do. Despite not shooting well, he's got actually a hell of a pump fake. Yeah. Uh, and uses it to get Quinn fouls said and get last people year, up in the air and, and make stuff happen. Ricky's the only player on the team he wants to pump fake. He said that. He said Ricky's the only player on the team who should pump fake. Now, if you're getting somebody closing out on you, that's one thing. But he said the only weapon, the only person who should use it on the Jazz, including Donovan, Joe Ingles, all these shooters, he said was Ricky Rubio because his is really good. Have we seen a pump fake from anyone else yet? Not like the hardcore, no, catch no. and shoot yeah. pump fake, yeah. Good point. And he's got a good one. He sells it because he actually yeah. extends his arms, and that is just one of the silly things. That's like why Al Jefferson was so good with that pump fake, right? Great. Like, Michael. Because he ex- Michael yeah. Jordan's got the best one in NBA history. I mean, yeah, he would pump it all the way out because he had those enormous hands. So he could put it out with one hand. Kawhi's and think, very well, good it's definitely that, yeah. going. Yeah, Same Kawhi's great too. Uh, more questions. At Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops, if you're just tuning into the Salt City Hoop Show. Also, let's say you're, uh, you know, you're just going home from the store. Kids are inside, so you can't really hang out and listen to the show. Uh, Find us on Twitter or find us on uh, online. Uh, on the internet. At, on the internet. ESPN700sports.com. Or Salt City Hoops, right? You post it there. Uh, also, if you have a smart speaker, if you have uh, an Alexa or an Echo or whatever they're called, just say, hey, Alexa, play the Salt City Hoops show, and it will play the last podcast for you. Cool. So if you're hanging out at home washing dishes and you want to listen to a podcast and talk some jazz basketball, you can do that as well. Tweets. Uh, we Miss Jordan Bindrup's question, so I'll, get, I'll cycle back to that from 15 minutes ago. After the Golden State game, what is the single largest gap the Jazz still have to close against Golden State, presumably? Um, I mean, clearly, it's it, it's a huge talent gap. Uh, yeah. And it is a talent gap in particular with shooting the ball. Uh, and shooting the ball uh, when it is not contested. When, uh, when it is contested, I should say. Yeah. When it's not open on those. I mean, I, I should go back and look at the tracking stats on that game, but the number of tightly guarded shots that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry took in that game uh, was, and made. was huge, and they made a ton of them. You know, like, I, they scored 124 points, and I don't think the Jazz defended poorly on, uh, you know, most, if not all, of those possessions. I, I thought the Jazz played terrific defense against We the talked Warriors. about that game a little bit earlier on the show, uh, and you said you think that's the best the Jazz have played, which I agree with by far. They also had that crazy series to end the first half. I mean, six series. Yeah. A stretch the end of the first half where they had, what, 13 possessions? They hit 10 threes on right. 13 possessions. Not on 13 shots. I mean, 13 <laughs> possessions. They hit 10 threes. Yeah. So, it was yeah. absurd. You never do it. No one's ever going to do it again. So here's the question. Was that game a glimpse at the Jazz potential? Because you're never going to do that regularly, or right. was that just a weird blip fluke outlier monkeys on a typewriter eventually you're going to get shakespeare like if you put you play enough games eventually freakish things are going to happen yeah you know i i i think this is a dumb answer but some of both you know i think what the jazz did do so well against the warriors and they did it in both uh games against the warriors last year in vivant was stop them from shooting three-point shots and we've seen them be able to have some success with them with that, limiting them to only 15 shots in that game, 19 shots in a couple of games last year, like that, those are great three-point shooting totals for the Warriors. And I think the Jazz do defend the three-point line really well against KD, Steph, and, and Clay. Yeah. Um, do I think that they're going to make 10 of 10 threes in 13 possessions? No. Do I think that they do some things well, specifically against the Warriors' style of defense, to get open shots that led to 10 of those threes? Yes, I think. Uh, Joe, they, for some reason are, are really bad against game planning against Joe Ingles. And I don't know if it's just Kevin Durant doesn't care cause he usually ends up guarding Joe, but like 
he he'll go under on Joe Ingles screens or be ill prepared to guard him, and Joe gets a well, lot get, of easy get shots. Seven threes in that game. Yeah, I mean, and that's not unusual for a, a Joe Ingles game. Yeah, against if you're going to give a top five shooter in the world open shots, are going to hit seven threes. Right. And the Jazz have one of those guys now. It's the first time they've had that guy since Memo or or Hornacek, and those guys never shot that the ball that often. Right. So. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think that makes a big deal, a, a big difference. So I, I think Ricky Rubio is very good defensively on Steph Curry. I do think Rudy Gobert gives them some problems. Uh, I think the Jazz rotate extremely well against the Warriors. It's just like uh, clearly there's this talent gap of hitting really hard shots that uh, is the clear single largest gap that the Jazz still have to close. And quite frankly, they probably won't be able to do it while Kevin Durant is still on the roster. Right. And, and you almost have to just say, hey, how do you close the gap between the Jazz and the rest of the NBA, not counting the Golden State Warriors, because, again, they're just put together so miraculously. And beyond miraculously, I mean, a little bit strangeness had to happen to get five top 25 players on the roster at the same time. Well, and I think you have to figure out what else you can beat the map. And actually, during the, the game against Golden State last Friday, it was shot distribution, right? Again, 15 threes to 40 threes for the Utah Jazz. Can you imagine that happening like two right. seasons ago? right. And yet the current iteration of the Warriors takes so many mid-range shots that you can actually almost outmath them, which right. is something that the the Rockets did to pretty phenomenal success last year until Chris Paul got hurt in the playoffs. Minus a Chris Paul injury, they probably beat him. Yeah, and, and win the finals. And, you know, I, I don't think that the Jazz are, are that talented yet. And obviously the, the Rockets have two tremendous shot makers in Chris Paul and James Harden. But... There are some things that the Jazz can do better, actually, than the Golden State Warriors. Right and maybe now. maybe that's where you go out and you do add that next shooter. You do add that one more shooter who's yeah. capable on any given night to go put up seven threes. And not make seven, but I mean, honestly, shoot seven threes because you're talking about just out-mathing them. You're replacing seven other shots that you're getting from maybe Ricky Rubio from that left corner of the of the free throw line that he likes to get. And you just say, no, we're, we're going, not Randy Foy, even though he's available. Somebody who says, you know what, those are just going to be three-point shots. Right. We're going to put him as the guard next to Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell's going to be the initiator, and the guy next to him's got to get a bunch of shots up. Or, yeah, you, you find, a, a honestly, a better shooting point guard than Rubio. I, you know, I, I don't think that that's out of the question. This free agency market is not tremendously brilliant on point guards, but if you go out and get a Kemba Walker, okay, now things change. Now you right. do have that three-point shooting uh, really a, a threat and skill, and again, you can outmath people a little bit. Riley O'Brien, we'll get to one more question, and then uh, coming up in the next segment, we'll take a look around the NBA, talk about some of those things before we get back to the Jazz and take more questions. Riley O'Brien, if the Jazz were in the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals in two to three years from now, who on this current roster do you guys see being on the team outside of Donovan and Rudy? I like that question. Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, I mean, Joe Ingles has three years left on his deal, so you figure two to three years, he's still there. He'll be 34 there, so he may be a bench player. He may be a smaller contributor, but it's it's you know something that he'll he'll probably be there. Uh, Dante Exum again has that contract going on. I, I expect him to kind of stick around and and be a, a relatively big part. I don't know that he will ever be the starting point guard for the Jazz, but you could certainly see him being a, a big contributor. Um, Grayson Allen again, four years left on his deal. I, I'm looking at contracts because. I, I do think that the guys on one or two year deals on this team are a little bit replaceable. And, you know, I, I think Ricky Rubio has shown that he can be a big part of this team if he does continue the actual improvement that we've seen. Um, but if he has a, you know, kind of a fallback season this season, then they'll look to move on a point guard. I mean, uh, Jay Crowder, very nice player uh, and has a, a, I think it's two years left on that deal. But, you can find guys who do what Jay Crowder does elsewhere in the league. You sure. know, there are wings. Let's see how with, he plays this year. Yeah, and again, he's, he's getting he's on the roster again next year, which is great. That contract's insane. Yeah, 
Derek Favors is non-guaranteed for next season. He may or may not be here as soon as one year from now. Um, so yeah, you, I I think Alec Burks is a pretty likely bet to to leave the Jazz and yep. find somewhere else next year. You know, so I, I think there's going to be kind of the the four core four or five guys, and Grace, I think a, outside a, of Rudy and Donovan, Grayson, Dante, and Joe are probably the only safe bets. Yeah, I would say I would say so. And even then, if you're going to make a trade, which I don't see the Jazz trading to get a star, if they are going to get a star, it's like you're talking about. They randomly talk to Kemba Walker this offseason and say, "Kemba, look at this. Yeah. Look at how mediocre Ricky Rubio is as a scorer. You do those Ricky Rubio things, and you come in, and you're playing with Donovan Mitchell, and you're the third guy. And we made it to the Western Conference Finals and won two games against Golden State this year. We need one more win with you, and you can do that. We're going to get there, you know. And then we're playing a game seven, and who knows what happens in a game seven." That's the pitch. Right. And I, it's not a bad pitch. And Kemba's a guy who I've talked about for two years now saying I would love to see him yeah. come and play in Utah and could make some sense. Now, I'll tell you, I, I think most league people say Kemba's probably going to stay or probably is not considering really Utah as, as the destination. He may want a bigger market or a, a different kind of environment than Charlotte. Uh, Chris Middleton, though, is a guy that the Jazz, he may be number one on the Jazz's wish list for next year as kind of the, the perfect fit next to Rudy Gobert, allows him to space the floor and is still very tough on the defense bent. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take more questions. Also, we'll take a look around at the, some of the scores in the NBA, including some surprisingly slow starts to teams that should be contenders. We'll talk about that next. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, it's the Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Everybody ready? Let's do it. Yeah. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, 749. Hope you're listening. If you're not, hope you're listening on a podcast. We always appreciate you guys tuning in. You can tweet at us uh, during the show at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops. You can also tweet us off the show. If you say, hey, will you address us in the next Salt City Hoops show? We'll try and do that. Yeah. We only do it once a week, but we're going to try and do them a little bit more regularly now. Ideally, uh, well, there's no more Thursday football games, and there's not probably not going to be any more. There's definitely not going to be any more Major League Baseball games in the postseason. So uh, we shouldn't be interrupted too much as long as you're in town, Andy, and not with the road or with the team on the road. Writing for the Salt Lake Tribune, we should be available. You can yeah. also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops or at Andy B. Larson on Twitter. And when I'm on the road, we can have Tony or JP or someone else fill in and, and answer those questions too. Uh, all right. Look around the uh, NBA. I think we've answered most of the questions so far for the night. Uh, looking around some scores in the NBA. Boston going up against OKC. That's the TNT game right now. And OKC is up on Boston with five minutes to go in the third quarter, 68-55. to 55. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, that's, a, that's a good lead for them, right? I mean, I, I think this Boston Celtics team is, struggling right now on the offensive end. They actually have the worst offensive rating in the league coming into tonight and certainly 58 points through halfway through the third quarter uh, points to that as well. I, it's hard OKC's to, winless. OKC hasn't won a game yeah, yet. Yeah, that's a little bit understandable because they were missing Russell Westbrook for the first three But games. like you should beat Sacramento at home without Russell yeah. Westbrook because yeah, you still probably. have Paul George and you still went out and got Dennis Schroeder and you still have, I mean, you still got, I, I get Russ is your best player and I think he's better still. I think he's more prolific and has a bigger impact on a game probably than Paul George. And when you miss him, it feels like you're missing a lot. But you, you still got Steven Adams. You know, you've still got all these pieces that you've got you've gone out there that you're trying to compete in the West and a lot of people 
think that OKC is going to finish above the Jazz in the standings, which I think is crazy. You know, I, I just don't think they're that good of a basketball team. I don't think they're that rounded, that well-rounded. I know they were pretty good last season, but I, I think they're going to struggle this year, and I worry about Russ coming back from that next or that last knee procedure. But being 0-3 at this point, you know, they could still blow this lead. It's only a six-point game now, 70-64. to They could easily lose this one and fall to 0-4, and that's, you know, you start just getting to a point where this team could not turn on each other. I don't think they're going to hate each other, but I, I don't know if this is the best locker room in the NBA. That went from a 13-point lead to a six-point lead really quickly. Yeah. Uh, OKC, by the way, right now, 29th in the league through their first three games. So these are two of the worst offensive teams in the league so far. And it's interesting because obviously you would expect with Boston and OKC's talent, they'd be able to be better than that. Uh, Jeremy Grant's had a really rough start to the beginning of the season. Dennis Schroeder's only shooting 28%. Terrence Ferguson's been awful. He's only shooting 13%. Well, we knew they didn't just, have a bench, and we thought once they get Andre Roberson back, they were going to be a little bit better. And then he got hurt again. I thought they were okay. I thought Schroeder was a nice addition because yeah. I like the idea of him playing coming off the bench and he's just not been good yet. Yeah, like, you know, I thought it would be better than Ray Felton, but Ray Felton's playing right now. And and so you've got a, a bench that's Terrence Ferguson and Alex Abrinas and Patrick Patterson. Nerlens Noel is, again, yeah, playing okay. Uh, Dennis Schroeder playing, starting right now, but then coming off the bench, uh, playing with that second unit as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that would be better. We've seen um, the Cleveland Browns go winless for a season. Games. What are the chance the Cleveland Cavaliers go winless over 82 games? Low. Slim. Basically none. But they are the worst team in the league. By uh, far. I love that LeBron was there, left, they got the number one pick, came back, they won a championship, left, they're going to get another number one pick. They are bottom five in the league, both offense and defense, and yeah, uh, they are they are awful. And well, they've got the worst be, head coach in the league. And this is before the fire sale. You think, you, you think Ty Lue is the worst coach in the league? <sighs> kind of hard to... Uh, there's oh, not a whole. I mean, who would be the other names out there that would be in competition? I, I still am not a Bickerstaff fan. I'm not a Bickerstaff um, fan. And he was great against the Jazz, but he actually. looked very good against the Jazz. So right. It's hard for me to. Jay Kidd's out of the league. Yeah, I mean, really, the the league has gotten a lot better on the bottom end with coaches. Uh, there's some like I don't know that there's anyone really whispering that Luke Walton is the worst coach in the league. He ain't good. There are some whispers that he is a bad coach and and is just. Kind of lost from an X's and O's point. Of view. Interesting. Wouldn't that that wouldn't be that surprising, right? No. Like just because I, he had what a good twenty game stretch with the Warriors when Steve Kerr had back surgery. Yeah. So did Mark Jackson. Yeah. And no one will hire Mark Jackson again. Right. You know, Mark Jackson was really good with the Warriors. He got fired because he was a creep, but you know, people thought he was a good coach. And then you realized, oh wait, no, he has the best roster in the world. In fact, he was holding that roster back. And I wonder if we could see that with the Lakers as well. I do think there are some opportunities going back to the Cavs that they're for the Jazz to be kind of part of the Cavs fire sale that is coming. Um, because it doesn't make any sense for them to keep Kevin Love if they're going to be this bad. It doesn't make any sense for them to keep George Hill or, or Rodney Hood or J.R. Smith or, or Jordan Clarkson. And nearly all of those players are... Okay, most of those players are ineligible for Jazz for either... you know Rodney Hood's not coming back because he burned that bridge last year. Uh, George Hill isn't coming back because he burned that bridge two years ago. J.R. Smith isn't coming to Utah for Smith. a million reasons. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Love might not be coming to the Jazz for 75 million reasons, namely the amount of money still That's left on so his much contract. He gets paid. Kyle Korver, I could see adding something to this Jazz team as a shooting option. Off Again, the bench. if we're talking about outmathing. The Golden State Warriors, you go and get the best, the, you know, the best shooter in NBA history, and that's Kyle Korver. He's 37 and is like a little bit unplayable at times, uh, so that's a worry. But if you got him for a second round pick, 
Absolutely. I, I think that, I'll, you know, that what? might make some sense. I'll give you two second round picks for him. That's, that's bold. I'd give up two second round picks for Kyle Corbin. Yeah. Because he's going to sure. play for you. It depends what those second, uh, like, I wouldn't give up a high second round pick, I don't think. Uh, right. But the Jazz shouldn't be having high second round yeah. picks anymore. Jazz should be having picks in the fifties, and also honestly, you have to match the salary might be the biggest deal. So like, who do you who do you send what out for Kyle Corver? Uh, let's look it what up. Was it like seven million? I think it's like four. Four uh, million. No, you're right. Seven million. Good job. Some seven point five million dollars. See you, Tabo. So, yeah, Tabo. For... Sorry, dog. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming. Is Kyle Corver better than Tabo? Yeah, because Jazz can replicate a little bit of what Tabo does. They don't necessarily have that other long wing defender other than Dante Exum, but we, I just don't know if Tabo's going to see the floor a whole lot. I would rather have Tabo of last year over Kyle Corbin. Yeah, that's the question. Do you have uh, Tabo of last year? If you if it turns out Tabo Cephalosha this year is more like Joe Johnson of last year, where it's you know he's lost a step and it may not be time, uh, Kev- Kyle Corver could be a, a nice ad. I also think that, you know, I guess Tabo does some nice things in the locker room, and I do think that that would be a, a miss for the Jazz, but Kyle Corver is good there, too. So, yeah. I, you know, I think he'll probably be okay. He's a good Utah guy, too. Yeah, yeah. he's been here before, like like the city, when he was playing here. So, yeah, that, that, that's a name I would definitely look at. Other teams are going to want him, too. But the Jazz are bordering on contention, and you got to go get those guys if you're bordering on contention. And I'm fine with that. You yeah. Know? And it's kind of, yeah, how much will that make the difference? If they're already going to be the, the two seed, you know, and not going to win against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, do you go out and lose assets for next year in order to to beat them? I don't know. And you can probably start fine-tuning skill sets a little bit, like adding shooting versus saying, sure. hey, we've got another wing defender on the perimeter, which is great. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look more around the NBA, get you updated on the rest of the scores, and answer your questions. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. A very happy Thursday to everybody out there. Andy and I were arguing during the break whether or not Al Horford's a Hall of Famer. I say yes, Andy says no. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, a very good NBA player. Uh, I think he's one of the best, if not the best player on these Boston Celtics. Uh, and is we talked about them being last in the league offensively. Well, they're first in the league defensively, and Hal Horford is a huge reason as to why that is. Um, but guys who average 14 and 8 uh, without Defensive Player of the Year credentials don't make the Hall of Fame. Right. His numbers probably aren't there. Doesn't have a lot of all NBA appearances, just one, only one all defensive team. Again, the two championships in college help because guys don't win championships in college anymore. Yeah. If we care. Maybe we don't care about college basketball anymore. College basketball is about to die. Let's talk about that. Let's wow. talk about the G League. Let's talk about the G League. Uh, 
taking away all the number one draft picks or the top, what, every one-and-done, every legitimate one-and-done player that you know is going to be a one-and-done player, I can't imagine they would go to college anymore. Oh, I think they still will. I think Uh, a lot of them still will. I think the ones from uh, impoverished backgrounds will take the $125,000 right away. Okay. Uh, I think for a large number of elite recruits, it makes way more sense to go to college, um, not only for the exposure, because there's a lot more exposure in college basketball, but also because it is an easier league. Um, yes. I think that was Darius Baisley's problem. Remember, Darius Baisley signed up for the G League, wrote a Players Tribune piece about why he was going to be the first guy in the G League, and then he started working out against G League caliber players and got owned a little bit. Yeah, like, there's grown men there. Just yeah, there there's are a lot of 26, grown men there. 27 year olds who have played olds. overseas, yeah. played in the NBA. Right? Willie Reed is on the Jazz right. now on the Stars, and he's an NBA player. And Willie Reed is better than you know right now at basketball than some of the center prospects that are 19 in. George you know, Yang was in the G League last year and is the 15th man on an NBA roster. He's probably you know 14th or 13th, but that's an NBA player. That's one of the 450 best players in the world. And you're right. If you're a mediocre player. Or, you know, with a high upside, you're probably right. not going to look that good there. Yeah, you're, you're not. And so I think for those guys, it will just make more sense for them to honestly take the risk, take the under-the-table money from college basketball and go that way. Uh, rather than expose yourself to 50 games, rather than 30 college games, 35, whatever. That's, sure. You know, if you play, if you make it to the finals, 40. Uh, and again, against adults who are bigger, stronger, and better than you are. I, I I think a lot of you know there will be some guys who it makes sense for, and that hundred twenty five thousand makes sense for them. And I'm glad the G League is doing this for a lot of reasons. I do think that most of the the elite top prospects are going to continue to go, go to college. It's also only going to last for four years because in twenty twenty two they're going to get rid of the one and done rule, and then the guys will skip college and the G League altogether. Yeah, right. This is just a band aid to get you to twenty twenty two when they can abolish the rule in the first place. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I still think guys will go. Even if they never play in the G League, even if they struggle, the same way with elite one and done prospects that we always know we always know are going to be elite one and done prospects, or guys who go and play in China and are bad, sure. can still come to a workout and they say, "Oh well, look at him. He's six foot five and has a forty inch vertical. We love him. We're yeah. going to draft him." Look, I, Anthony I Simon still got drafted in the first round this year and went to the IMG Academy. He did, and honestly, he hasn't looked terrible in preseason right. and, and when he's played for Portland. Like I, I've been a little bit surprised at that because I thought his. We heard such bad things about his draft workout, and honestly, watching his tape a little bit, I thought there was no way, and he's he's figured out a little bit of a way to not look awful on the floor, which is which is good. But for guys like Emmanuel Moutier or, Brand, or Brandon Jennings going overseas to Italy or China to play there for a year and then come back, I, I think that's going to be replaced by the G League route, and, and that will make the league more entertaining, give it more eyeballs, um, and, and I think will be good for those guys too. There may be a path there where maybe those guys... Uh, sit out half of the G League schedule and just relish kind of the opportunity to work with NBA coaches on their game rather than collegiate coaches. And I do think there is a difference in that level of professionalism. You you don't have to go to class. You can watch film all the time. You you do just have, I think, better player development coaches in the NBA and even the G League than you do at you know most college programs. It'll be interesting to watch. And you're right. The money will matter to some people. It won't matter to others because guys are clearly already getting paid. And if colleges are just, now, if colleges, if the shoe companies now, and, and you know the ruling that happened, what a couple of days ago, where they they are catching these guys now paying these players, if that dries up, and look, you're gonna risk going to jail for two years to get a kid to go to an Adidas school? No, 
Because now yeah. that guy, not only did you lose your job, you're going to jail for two years. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, no matter what you're doing. So th- that if that dries up, maybe that's a different issue, and maybe kids will, will start taking that $125,000. Until then, though, kids will keep going to college if they can get paid. See, and I, I think it's less like the the Adidas reps that you know will be doing that now, and I think it'll go kind of back to the boosters who are doing that, right? Just the teams, your 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 Emory situations almost where your, your boosters are kind of paying for these guys rather than shoe deal companies, uh, shoe companies making deals to, to kind of steer guys in, in their direction. Uh, questions. You can always tweet at us at Andy B. Larson on Twitter at Ben's hoops on Twitter. We'll continue to answer them coming up throughout the night. If you want to uh, have more thoughts on the Utah jazz, what do you, what are they going to do on the next three games? What does this road trip look like? I won't be surprised if the jazz don't lose on this road trip and start out. Oh, six really? and two. I think the Pelicans have started out the season really, really well, and I would be surprised to see the Jazz win that game. I think that's obviously the hardest game on the stretch. Uh, and yeah, okay, if they, I, I would expect them to go two and one on the rest of the trip. Um, Pelicans are on the second night of a back-to-back, right? Okay, they play home game. No, it's home games. It's not like they're traveling from Orlando or something to New Orleans or Houston to New Orleans. So they're in, they're home. They're sleeping in their own beds. Jazz have two days rest though, they're so playing, that that helps. Yeah, they're playing Brooklyn. Uh, the night before, so you know, they may have an opportunity to rest. But I, I just think that this Pelicans team is really good and really good in some ways that are going to be difficult for the Jazz to defend. Namely, Nico Miritich and Anthony Davis just killing it from the perimeter. Uh, I think Drew Holiday has played some good defense on Donovan Mitchell in the past and can play good defense on him in the future. You know, Really, that 41-point game last year, Donovan Mitchell's coming out party, that was because... DeMarcus Boogie. Cousins yeah. was was out of was the only center. Anthony Davis was out of that game, and so he just kind of attacked the tired boogie over and over again, um, and and had some success there. Now so, Donovan also had maybe his most impressive performance of the season on the road at New Orleans, where he was terrible for 28 minutes, and then at the end of the yeah. third quarter, hit the most ridiculous shot I've ever seen <laughs> around Anthony Davis and scored 18 points in four minutes, and sure. the Jazz ran away with that game. So, and the Jazz have always played Anthony Davis well. Derek Th- Favors and, and Gobert are just they're trouble for him. There's it's a lot of strength in Derek Favors and then a lot of length that you get from Rudy Gobert. But Miritich has been phenomenal. I mean yeah. that trade looks better and better every single day. Julius Randle too. Yeah. Has has been a, a great signing for them and, and you know, averaging eighteen point seven points a game. They're averaging just hundred and twenty four points per hundred possessions right now. If they play that well, the Jazz are gonna lose. Yeah. Now they're gonna regress a little bit over the course of the season, but if they keep that up for the one game you know, iota of the season that is next, you know, on Friday night, I think the Jazz will be fine. Saturday night, I should say. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think they, the Pelicans should be favored and, and rightfully so. Yep. Uh, and then you've got, what are the last two games of this? Uh, you've got you've got Dallas and you've got Minnesota. Uh, Dallas, Dallas is not good. Not good. Second night of a back-to-back, you know, you've got to travel and everything else. It's not a long flight, but... Uh, I, I think there is some worry there that you know maybe you you find a a hot Dallas team that hasn't played poorly to begin the season. They've got wins against Chicago and and Minnesota, um, but uh, you know that's a team that, that the Jazz should beat. Wesley Matthews has looked okay recently. Yeah, he's been good, uh, averaging nineteen points a game uh, along with Luka Doncic. Took way too many shots last good. night to get to his points, but yeah. And then Luka Doncic is good and is going to keep getting better. Uh, and then Minnesota at the end, it, we honestly don't even know who's going to be on this te- that team at this point, right? But uh, if Carl Anthony Towns plays as soft as he has in some of these games, I think the Jazz uh, will run away with it, quite frankly. Um, and it's really that they only have to worry about Jimmy Butler and then forcing the ball to Andrew Wiggins so he can do dumb Andrew Wiggins stuff. Uh, he, you know, Andrew loves going at Rudy. 
He loves trying to dunk on Rudy for some reason. But uh, okay, well done. Yeah, whatever you got to do, <laughs> whatever you got to do, Andrew, you get out there and get your money from your Canadian national team and go go chase uh, Rudy Gobert dunks. It's funny, dunks. like what going back and uh, when kind of the Andrew Wiggins Jimmy Butler stuff was first happening this offseason, I went back and watched the Jazz Minnesota Timberwolves games. And the Jazz really do just change their defense to flow the ball into Andrew Wiggins' hands. Yeah. And he has the second highest usage per, usage percentage of any team in the NBA against the Jazz. And that's because they try to get him the ball. And then once he has the ball, he's not a passer. So he's just going to shoot it. And yeah. you ends up missing a lot of mid-range shots. And, and the Jazz are pretty stoked about it. Yeah, you're happy to take those. You're happy to have him take those shots. Yeah. You know, and uh, if they're taking the ball out of... Carl Anthony Towns' hands, you're in good shape. It also has just been a lot of like Derrick Rose. Um, He's actually been okay. Now it's like it's like 16 points on 15 shots, so it's not brilliant, but it's not Derrick Rose is out okay. of the league. Yeah, it's not I, great, Derrick Rose. <laughs> yeah. And they should probably still be playing Tyus Jones. Right? Tyus Jones is so much better. Yeah. And I, you know, I get Tyus Jones is going to score fewer points, but that team doesn't need points and needs defense and playmaking and uh, other things. That now they've got a defensive a playmaker in Jimmy Butler and they're trying to trade him. At least they need to trade him. Maybe they're trying their hardest to not trade him. <sighs> That's the him. thing is I think Tibbs wants to keep him so badly because he knows Jimmy Butler is good. It's just that Jimmy Butler wants out of there and I think Glenn Taylor wants to oblige. Do we? What do you think about Jimmy Butler? He's so insanely talented. Yeah. He's honestly top 10 talent in the NBA. When he's on, he is a top 10 player in the NBA. Not just There's a lot of guys who are top 10 talent that aren't top 10 players. Yeah, you know there are freakishly talented guys who just do not care. Boogie, Boogie's a top ten talent and has never impacted the game the way a top Who's ten top player 10 should. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Butler has a little bit of that. Now he's a lot better. I would take Jimmy Butler over Boogie Cousins. I don't think there's a huge question about that. Some people might, but when Jimmy Butler's fantastic, he's truly fantastic. Yeah. Elite wing defender, twenty point per game score, really good passer. Became a Kawhi Leonard-like three-point shooter where couldn't shoot it at all coming out of Marquette and really added it to his game and I think that's harsh to Kawhi Leonard, but anyway. Okay. Well, I mean, Kawhi was a bad shooter coming out of San Diego yeah, State. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but Kawhi Leonard is like 10% better than okay, Jimmy Okay, sure. But, but added it as a, a weapon to his game uh, in Chicago. What do you do with him? Because he, he just does not get along with people. Yeah, and I do think that like he requires some micromanagement on the court as well in, in order to kind of get him the shots that he prefers. He does kind of take over possessions at times, um, and there is there is some inflexibility there from an offensive point of view too. Um, I guess, are you asking what should the Minnesota Timberwolves do with it? Well, like, I mean, I, I, so what's his future going to look like? Is he going to be a top three player on a championship team, or is he a knucklehead? No, I I think he could be. You know, honestly, it's it, one of those things where he probably will learn to accept his role a little bit if he is on a on a good team. I hope so because uh, he's so it, talented. And he, I mean, he may never. I, I I don't really know. He's more right than he is wrong about his teammates, though. Right, I one hundred percent agree. There's a lot of guys who are right about their teammates who don't voice it that way. Right, agreed. And he, he might just be a bad teammate. Even if he's right, he might be a bad teammate. There's a lot of teams that are no no team is functioning perfectly. Yeah. And you can be a good teammate. You know, the the Warriors teammates handle Draymond Green really well and could probably say right things by saying, Hey Draymond, you're an idiot. Hey Draymond, you cost us a championship by kicking LeBron. Hey Draymond, all these things you do are stupid. Sure. You almost lost us the jazz game because you're you're an you're a moron when you go up against Rudy Gobert like that. Okay, but I mean, yeah, him being a moron is one thing, but like Draymond is a moron with effort, right? Like right. In a way that he he will he's gonna play okay he's he's taken plays off and games off now that they've won two championships or, or three championships but uh, he is is so smart and so good when he's turned on that it makes sense. 
with guys like Andrew Wiggins right. and, and Carl Anthony Towns, they don't have that like high level that, that Draymond right. can get to. It's a very they different level. They never channel that. They never channel that. Right. And so I think that's where Jimmy Butler has more of a case against Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns than, yeah, the Warriors might have against a Draymond or, you know, a, a team may have against a, a good player that uh, does stupid stuff that we, we've seen before. I agree with you. I, to- I, I, I've told you my story with Jimmy Butler at the draft. No, he almost killed me. Let's hear it. Oh, uh, so if you if you listen to Gunther and Ben, you've probably heard the story before. But if you haven't, yeah, I went to the draft when the Jazz got Dante and Rodney Hood. Okay, I was there, and before the draft, you've done it, Andy. They do media the day before, mm-hmm. so you go to this different hotel in Manhattan, and they just kind of have all the players there, and you can walk around from station to station, and they bring out the lottery picks and whoever's going to be in the green room. But before you're actually in the green room, everyone's just kind of hanging out, and there's a bizarrely huge number of NBA players that were there. Yeah. Giannis was there, uh, and I saw a guy wearing a BYU shirt, and I thought, downtown Manhattan, who the hell is this guy hanging, like this big athletic guy, and I said, why is this guy wearing a BYU shirt? And I said, hey, who are you? Why are you wearing a BYU shirt? I'm from Utah. He goes, oh, I'm Jordan Leslie. I just transferred to BYU. Well, Jordan Leslie apparently is an adopted brother of Jimmy Butler. Hmm. So Jordan Leslie's been trying to stick in the NFL. He's just a freakish athlete. Adopted brother of Jimmy Butler, and... Jimmy Butler was there, and I thought, you know what, BYU fans are going to love this if I take a photo at the NBA draft of their incoming star wide receiver with Jimmy Butler, his brother, which I don't think people knew at the time they were brothers. That was not the story when he was transferring to BYU. And they were standing together, and I said, do you care if I take a photo? And I said that to Jordan, and he was cool with it. And Jimmy Butler gave me a look. I'll tweet it out. Jimmy Butler gave me a look like he was going to murder me. He, he, you, you took the photo I anyway, took a photo. He, in the photo, I didn't he looks like he's going to murder Jimmy, you. Jimmy, but I did ask Jordan. He said yes. And the photo of Jimmy Butler looks like he's never been closer to murdering somebody in his <laughs> life. And I was in a media room where everyone's doing media stuff. Right. And I took a photo and he looked like I had betrayed him eternally. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I-, I get why Jimmy Butler could be a tough guy to be yeah. around. I-, I absolutely think that he probably is. And, that, you know, I-, I think that's I don't think he is because he does channel it on the floor. I don't think he's the level of a, of a chemistry problem as. Uh, you know, like a DeMarcus Cousins again yeah. to, to compare him. Is he just like this? If you're like, doing a horseshoe, or if you're doing two sides of the, uh, you know, opposite sides of the same coin, is he a Carmelo Anthony? You know what I mean? Like Carmelo doesn't care so much that he impacts teammate? your team. But yeah, Carmelo doesn't care on the floor so much that he impacts your team. Jimmy cares so much that he also negatively impacts your team. Like, are they the same? Yeah. Are they? Would they be in a comic yang. book fighting each other? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I. I don't know. Like I, I, think he's. I think he's a great player. Let me ask you this: We, Adrian Wojnarowski reported today that Houston wants to trade four first-round picks for him. Is that a deal that makes sense for? Is that a win for Houston? Is that a win for Minnesota? Is it a good? I think trade it's a win for. Uh, I think it's a good win. A good move for both teams. It's a win-win okay. because Minnesota can't win with Jimmy Butler because Minnesota can't win with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, and I don't think you can trade. Andrew Wiggins right now. No, agreed. I think his contract is too big. It's it's untradeable. And Jimmy's not going to sign there next year. Right. So you know he's going to be gone. So if you get four picks for him, you absolutely have to do that. Is it a lot to pay for Houston? Yeah. Were they a hamstring away from beating the Golden State Warriors and then going and winning the world championship? Yeah. And you make, I mean, James Harden and Chris Paul are both already Hall of Famers. But you kind of, you know, you, you lock in that status as being great. D'Antoni ends up going to the Hall of Fame at that point. Daryl Morey goes to the Hall of Fame at that point as an executive. You know, like all the things that you want to do, plus you just got your new billion-dollar owner who just bought the team for so much money and wants to be great. 
and you start to break, you chip away at Golden State. In fact, you're the only team other than LeBron that beats Golden State. I would give that up because yeah. in 2023, Chris Paul's not in the NBA anymore. Right. So yeah, James Harden's yeah 37 or he's something. old. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I do it because your windows are so rarely open. And yeah. if you're willing to do it, and you've got a billionaire owner who said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. We're mortgaging our future, but guess what? I'll buy us a new future. Sure, happy with that. It's a lot. You know, like it's it's a ton of money and I, I, or a ton of picks, and I do think that there is a real threat there of when you trade four first round picks away, you could Brooklyn Nets yourself, right? Like you could trade accidentally for guys who are past their primes. And, and you know, I, I think Jimmy Butler is good, but he's also 29 years old right now, you know, and I, I don't know the will be still excellent in 2023. And I do think there's some risk in that pick. Obviously, Chris Paul's getting up there in age and has already declined some. Uh, James Harden, I think, is going to decline at, you know, at some point. And I think uh, that's he's... He's at that point in his age curve where that makes sense. So I, I, I don't know that. I guess it depends so heavily for me on the on the pick protections on the that last pick. I feel pretty good about the 2019 one, the 2021 one, but then the 2023 and 2025 ones. Just so much anything could happen that uh, for a one year rental of a player. Let's say Jimmy Butler gets a Houston and you can't resign him. You know, like sure there there are risks there, and I I think you you have to really. You have to protect yourself through pick protections and uh, significant conversations ahead of time with Jimmy Butler's agent to make sure that this works and, and he'll be there for the long term. Sure. Future. And also, you know, and this just happened, what did Miami just get the unprotected pick from Philly? Is that what it was? Anyways, there, there was a pick coming up in 2022 of an unprotected pick. And now the NBA is kind of changing some of these draft rules and the one and done rules and issues like that. Maybe those picks are worth more. Maybe those first-round picks are worth less coming up in, in four years, five years, with the way they're changing yeah. how the lottery is working. I would say they are at, on track to be worth more um, okay. in the way that they have been in, in recent years. And, and the reason is because the salary cap is going up at a higher rate than the rookie scale. Rookie scale. Um, those are cheap ways to get role-playing role playing contracts. And even if you're a contending team having con- – uh, Contributing rookies is is a big deal, and the NBA is still on this curve of getting younger and getting better. Yeah, where younger guys are coming in more ready to play than they ever have been. And while I think we've already done the majority of the work, the meat of that has been done. You're still on that curve where it hasn't totally leveled out yet, hasn't plateaued, and it'll keep getting younger. Players are going to keep getting better. There's going to keep being guys who come into league and will win MVPs potentially on their rookie deals. The way what have we only seen Derrick Rose do that? Is he the only guy who's ever done that? No, I, I there's been. I mean, I mean the MVP? modern NBA. I mean, okay. yeah, not. I'm sorry, Washington Bullets. Yeah, you don't count <laughs> going back that far. There hasn't been a whole lot. Not yeah. not in the last twenty years. Okay, you know. Yeah, did, I, did LeBron so. win an MVP even on his rookie deal? I don't know if he did. I don't think so. Now, yeah, now I I want to look at this and I'll look at it during the break just to make sure. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. You know, you're not getting MVP caliber players, and you may. I think you will have this contention window for the next two. Seasons. I don't know if it lasts three. Three is a lot to expect from Chris Paul and James Harden to stay at the level. You know what? You'd like to think you can buy yourself out of mediocrity, but sometimes you can't either. So it is a gamble Uh, for Houston. It's not. It's not a non-gamble. And man, you look back at trading draft picks, and man, look at the George Hill trade for the Jazz. Looking back at it now, like I get why you had to do it. We talked about why you had to do it. You had to get George Hill. You had to give Gordon yeah. uh, Gordon Hayward a reason to stay. He still left, and then George Hill left, and now Torian Prince is a really good player. Right. Torian Prince is a starting small forward that got drafted with the 14th or 13th overall pick, whatever it was, 
and would have been great on this jazz right. team right now. And you gave it up for 50 games of George Hill. It's like, ugh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot. That's a danger. And, and uh, I think there are maybe the jazz say, don't draft him. Maybe the jazz don't draft Torian Prince. And that wasn't supposed to be a great draft. And the Hawks certainly did their job, but also, you know, the Jazz aren't unhawk-like in how they're thinking. Yeah. Maybe they definitely would have gotten Torian Prince. Yeah, maybe they would. I, I honestly don't know who they had chosen in that draft because I know that they didn't like anyone at that 12 pick, you know, or at least enough to that right. they were comfortable dealing it for a rental. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that, you know, there's a difference between the 12, 13 pick and the 25th through 30th pick that Houston thinks that they will have for the next two years. I also know that it's very easy for things to go wrong in this NBA. And, you know, we saw... James Harden leave the fourth quarter last night with a hamstring strain. And I'm not saying that he's going to have chronic hamstring strains throughout his career, but he did have one last year that cost him seven games. And now he's going to miss at least a week, maybe more with this one. You know, like just injuries can happen. Stuff happens in the NBA yep. that you there's, need there's those first round picks for. An element of randomness to the NBA you always have to be protecting. Yeah. And the, some of the randomness is those picks, right? Like Rudy Gobert being the 27th right. pick is random. Donovan Mitchell being available when the Nuggets call him, even if the Jazz say, hey, you're the fourth guy on our board, or you know whatever the Jazz said he was, and they never said what the number was, but whatever, they said he was a f- top five player, sure. whatever it was going to be. you know. And Denver calls you and says, hey, we love Tyler Lydon. <laughs> Man, you would not believe <laughs> how Tyler we... Lydon and Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon. I stay up at night thinking about those guys. You want Donovan Mitchell? And you say, okay, I guess, twist my arm. <laughs> yeah, and right. You get, there's some randomness there to those picks. And honestly, Daryl Morey knows that better than anyone right yeah. like he is so randomness focused he is so you know opportunity is not a lengthy visitor is is the name uh is the it's his twitter bio right like he oh, is know- that really his thing yeah oh, i like that like uh he knows that there's a a element of randomness and risk and, and everything and he's done the math if he's offering first four first round picks i would bet that there are some pick protections and things going on that that he feels pretty comfortable uh, that that is not going to screw him over in the end like it did with, with the Brooklyn Nets. You know what trade didn't go down that should have and would have changed the outlook of the NBA? Was was it Danny Ainge offering three first-round picks for Justice Winslow? Yeah, four first-round <laughs> picks is what was reported, but yeah. Like, duh, Justin Winslow's not good. Right, but he again, that's luck. He just signed My Dante Exum's contract, Charlotte right? Charlotte said no. Didn't he just sign a three-year, $30 million yeah, contract? It's, it's So they could get Frank Kaminsky? And he's right. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, there's some crazy management. The NBA is so funny. This is what a stupid league. But that's great. That was and, amazing. And things that feel like short, uh, sure things at the time turn into not sure things faster than you can imagine. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look around the NBA, get you updated on some scores, including a good game between OKC and Boston. We'll also take a look at the Utah Jazz. This is the Salt City Hoop Show with Andy Larson and Ben Anderson on the home of the Utes, ESPN 700. Me, it had all the right Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 831. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at the Salt Lake Tribune. Make sure you subscribe. Get yourself some triple team action. You can also find me on Twitter, at Ben's Hoops. You can also catch me on Gunther and Ben, 2 to 6, Monday through Friday. Uh, what? Any other thing jumping out to you about the Jazz right now? Trends, good shooting, bad shooting, good play, bad play, concerns, promising spots? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, we talked about Ricky Rubio a little bit. I, I would say we haven't hit on Donovan Mitchell early early on in the year. And, you know, we uh, there was kind of that worry three games into the year, and certainly I was part of that. You know, I was 
worried about how inefficient he was, how much he was pressing and really looking for his own shot, um, trying to kind of play some hero ball through the first three games. And then he just turned it around yesterday with a tremendous performance in the fourth game. I, I will say this. I think a lot of that last night was the caliber of the defender he was going up against. Correct. Uh, he can beat James Harden off the dribble without a whole lot going on. Or Carmelo. He can beat Carmelo or off Michael the dribble Carter with Williams. nothing going on. Yeah. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams is a decent defender, although he did beat he him off the dribble. Torched. Eric Gordon got torched a little bit. Like Without Trevor Ariza or Mute on this team, really it's P.J. Tucker, and I, I don't know why, but you know the, when P.J. Tucker was on Donovan, it wasn't frequent. And, and P.J.'s getting to the point where he's going to have to start defending closer and closer to the basket. And, and yeah. Agreed. He's losing some of that foot speed out on the perimeter. And the Jazz did effectively switch on him. I mean, look, switching defenses work really well when you have four or five switchy guys who all look the same, and it's you know watch, really hard to Watch the Jazz play the defense. Right. Oh, you go Ricky to Donovan to Dante to, to Royce yeah, O'Neal. To like, Jay. Yeah, whatever. Have, you just have four guys pushing length. off one another. Yeah. Right. When you have Carmelo Anthony and Eric Gordon, and uh, you know it just becomes a whole lot easier to, to beat. Uh, Gerald Green, you know, you, you can you can drive around these guys. Uh, so and and I'm looking at the first three games of the season. Actually, I was really impressed with De'Aaron Fox and Yogi Ferrell. I liked how hard they played. Yeah, those guys are young and fun. And De'Aaron Fox is really fast and should be a good defensive player once he gets into his prime. Uh, obviously, you know, Golden State's a very good defensive team, uh, and and that's going to happen at points. They're going to be able to stop Donovan, and they're well coached. So they're going to know how to stop Donovan. And then Memphis is a great team. Memphis wants to put you in a half court and say, all right, let's see what you can do. We're just going to make this as ugly as you can. And if you get past anyone, you go into, you know, the third best low post defender in the NBA. Right. Fourth best in Marcus Ole. So he also went up against some really good teams. Also, some of the problem of his efficiency is that late in games, he just, he has to be the guy. Yeah. The Jets still don't have a guy. And especially when Ricky Rubio is as bad as he is right now. I would rather Donovan take some of these crazy shots than than Ricky Rubio with how bad he's shooting right yeah. now. It can't be all season long, and if it's the playoffs, it's going to look really bad, but there's just going to be some of that. And then I guess the question is, do you go to Joe Ingles for a possession, or do you go sure. to Ricky, you know, anyway for a possession? Like, really, that play out of the timeout last night when Ricky Rubio said, okay, if you're not going to defend me, I'm going to have the ball in my hands and just score a layup, you know, right. that that changed the game in some sense, you know, went going from a five point lead to a seven point lead. And then it was the next play that James Harden got hurt. Also, Donovan might be that guy a little bit. Donovan might have, you know, he might get to his averages he has that look pretty standard by having two bad games and one insanely spectacular game. Mm -hmm. And again, his bad games are 19 points on 18 shots. Yeah. 21 points on 20 shots. And then he has 38 points on 25 shots. And all of a sudden his numbers look pretty good. Yeah, but he might be a guy who has you know not every game's a quarter. He's gonna have some nickels and some pennies in there, but he has some some half dollars in there as well to get you up to a full dollar. And you say, okay, I see how he got there. Yeah, I could see that. You know, fourteen points against the Grizzlies was a problem, uh, and I, you know that was his worst game of the three by far, I think. Um, but I, there were just so many other factors that the Jazz couldn't figure out how to space, couldn't figure out anyone else, couldn't get their shots going. Um, uh, he wasn't the only bad player to have a bad game in that game. Right. And, yeah, again, at one point, he started 0-4 against Golden State, and then at one point he was 7-14, of and then he ended up 7-21 of or whatever it was. So he missed it, or 7-23, of I think. So he ended up missing his last eight shots, and he missed his first four shots. So at some point he was good, and then the Jazz late in the game needed another playmaker, and they don't have one, another scorer, another guy who can get buckets. And Donovan probably called his own number too many times yeah. and stopped trusting passing the ball around. Also, he's the guy, you know, and he's learning. He's still young. It's his second year. He's played right. uh, 81 NBA games now or whatever it is now, 82 games as an NBA player in the regular season. 
thought it was interesting, Quinn talking about talking to Donovan, kind of in that one-on-one that they had before the Houston game, about the stuff he could do on the defensive end. And I do think that he has improved on the defensive end significantly and has been a contributor for the Jazz that was on funny, that end of the floor. That was a funny comment from him last year saying, you know, the good news is you can always play defense and you have to think defense before offense. And that's certainly something that he said he learned at Louisville. But it's like, he was not that good defensively last year. Yeah. He was okay. He was trying to make plays. Like, he right. was he was bad defensively in a good way. You know, it wasn't that he was his feet were stuck to the ground. It was no. that he was all over the place and helping too much and leaving his He also got over. Alec Burks a lot. I mean, he would get backdoored a yeah. lot of place just because he's young, and that's what young guys do. Yeah, and again, he's yeah watching the ball, and that's that's fine. He's trying to make a play on the ball, trying to get the steal, trying to you know change the game for his team. But yeah, he as a result, you leave your guy open for backdoors and open threes. He'll be fine. And you wrote about this in the triple team. I don't remember if it was last night or if it was a few nights ago after the Memphis Grizzlies game. The great thing about Donovan, and was what he was so good at last year, he does not make the same mistake twice. If he sees it on film, he's not going to do it again. And that's a fun thing to watch because you recognize, hey, he made a mistake and you'll probably never see that mistake again. Yeah, it's it's really promising. And like there are so many different ways that, you know, we, we talk about him pressing in kind of a general sense, right? Well, he was pressing in multiple ways, right? Like whether it be taking contested threes or driving to the rim or not recognizing how the defense would come over and help. All of those plays we kind of bundle into the same, well, he's pressing kind of thing. And really it's about making the right play on one or two of those individual uh, possessions that, that really makes a difference. Uh, the Celtics just hit a three with about, I think it's 15 seconds to go. They're up 98-95 right now mm-hmm. in this game. So that's a fun game to watch. Uh, 28 seconds to go. I apologize. Believe it or not, Brad Stevens had a nice play call after a timeout, and they got a three to take the lead 98-95. Good at that. So the Thunder squandering more opportunities. Thunder gave up a 40-point third quarter to the worst offensive team in the NBA in the Boston Celtics. That's not good. But, I mean, they're more talented than that. Sure. So I'll, I'll give them that. Um, um, do, you, do you have any thoughts about this Jazz team? Like that, I think Grayson Allen is going to find himself in the rotation. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting and, that and George Jang will too to Alec Burks uh, in the first half of the Houston game. I think some of that was because of Alec Burke's success last year in the, in the playoffs against Houston and, again, against those switching defenses. Like, sometimes the Jazz's offensive game plan with that unit is Alec Burks, go get us a foul. You mm-hmm. know, like, right. uh, go go to the free throw line, make that work. I then Even then, though, Grayson Allen still played more than Alec did in the second half. And they did it against Memphis, too, right? Right. And, uh, Alec played the first half, and Grayson played the second half. And in Memphis, it kind of made sense because you, you think Grayson's more of a floor spacer than Alec, and you might as well give him a chance, especially in a game where you wanted the energy, right? Uh, against Houston, I still think Alec Burks probably makes more sense on paper, and they still went to Grayson in the second half, which I think goes to show that maybe there is kind of the, okay, we're back here with Alec Burks again for his eighth NBA season. Uh, this is what we should expect from him. And, and Allen has a really good opportunity to kind of uh, win that spot in the rotation, even in first halves coming up. Right. Um, and uh, I like what Grayson does as far as a floor spreader. And maybe Alec Burks, and he shot the ball really well in the in the preseason too, which is the only time we've ever seen him shoot that well. And then same with Grayson. You know, Grayson wasn't great as a shooter his senior season. He was really bad in the summer league shooting the ball as well. So maybe him shooting the, that well was flukish. But he also shot well against Memphis. And yeah. he only took two shots, but he made his corner three. and. I thought that was impressive. The Jazz don't have a whole lot of floor spreaders or floor spacers, and, and he he can probably do that. Yeah, the difference is Grayson Allen, at least in the preseason, had a quicker trigger than Alec Burks did with that three and was was taking kind of those semi-contested catch-and-shoots on the wing uh, that really good three-point shoot, shooters take, and I, I think that's kind of the big difference. And then also 
some decision-making stuff, um, which honestly AB has gotten a lot better at in the last two years and still leaves something to be desired. Uh, and I, would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Nyang and uh, Grayson Allen out there. Even though they're yeah. kind of technically rookies, I know George isn't, but he kind of is. He's never played serious, real NBA minutes mm-hmm. that are valuable of any kind. Those guys can shoot, and those, there's yeah. a chance those guys are both 40% three-point shooters. I think Yang has a really really good chance to beat Tavo Cephalosha for that rotation point. And, and like I said, I do think the Jazz are going to go small even more this year than they did last year. Um, and when Jay Crowder needs a blow, they they may end up going to Yang for that for that spot. Uh, ball out. Oklahoma City is going to have the ball. They're down ninety nine ninety five. So I mean, just a long shot. Even if they hit a three here, right. uh, it's still going to be a long shot to win this game. Russell Westbrook, five of twenty one, zero of six from the three point line. Uh, he does have fifteen rebounds, and eight <laughs> assists, but That's he has a, of, like uh, he does have thirteen points. Russ is weird for so many different reasons, but like he just plays so hard oh, every it, game. Yeah. Like he was fun to watch in the Jazz series last year, yeah. and it was nice to know that they weren't going to beat the Jazz. You kind of after game two, it kind of made you think, "Oof, I don't think they can beat the Jazz." I was worried after game five. You know, honestly, they sure, you they had thirty come back and yeah. and you know you lose Ricky Rubio in the first quarter of Game Six. It's like okay, this is this is how you lose three games in a row and uh, you know lose a series that you should have won, but. Uh, you know, obviously the Jazz pulled it out, but I thought Westbrook was very good in Game Six. Uh, he also took forty shots, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's a lot of it's a lot of shots to take. Russ is fun to watch. He's got the best motor I've ever seen, and that's fun to watch. Uh, Paul George is seven of twenty-two shooting, uh, two of ten from the three-point line. He has twenty-two points on twenty-two shots. He has the worst plus-minus venue on the team. He's minus fourteen. Russ is only minus three, and they're down four. So. Okay. Technically, they've been a little bit better with him on the floor. Interesting that the Boston bench has uh, been defeated by the, the OKC bench. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a ton of players. Marcus Morris is okay. You know, uh, he's got 21 like points bench, in his like plus 14. Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, uh, both very good. You know, uh, I think Daniel Tice is a above average NBA big. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would put that under surprising. Only Tice has a negative plus minus in this game, though, coming off the bench. Okay. So their bench has been good. Uh and then looking at the Boston team, because everyone likes Gordon Hayward, one of five shooting for five points, and he has the worst plus-minus of anyone on the Boston Celtics right now at minus 13. Haven't had a ton of chance to watch this game or really for him to play this season, but it does seem from what I have seen that, uh, you know, just, again, 10 or ten or so minutes here and there that he has not gotten 100% back. In he's the not 100%. Season. Athletically, uh, he's certainly not. And so will he get back? I think, you know, he will get better than where he is now. I don't know if he will ever be back to and that's 100, scary. 100%. And that is that is scary. Because he was a very high-level athlete, but he wasn't the best athlete. And he needed the little bit of athleticism that he did have. And it was more than a little. But he needed the athleticism he did have to be as good as he was. Yeah. He used it to his advantage as well as maybe anybody, you know, kind of got what they had out of their athleticism. He was pretty good at that. True. So if he loses that, yeah, it's going to be a different Gordon Hayward. You know, and that's just... You still had to pay him $30 million, and the Jazz would have gladly paid him $30 million, too. Right. So uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, any final questions, we will take them, and we'll continue to look around the NBA tonight, talk a little more jazz. It's the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's 
Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Very happy Thursday to everybody out there. TJ Gale on Twitter. Can Toronto or the Bucks get the number one seed in the East, or is it uh, all Boston? Boston did just beat the Oklahoma City Thunder to keep the Thunder winless. Every win matters in the West. This is great news for the Jazz. You may hate Gordon Hayward. You may hate the Boston Celtics, whatever. Uh, every win's going to matter at the end of the season in the West. So OKC, who a lot of people thought was the Jazz' main competition to get either the two, the three, or the four seed, whoever that was going to be, Houston's probably going to be up there. At least that was the assumption. Yeah. You know Golden State will be there. And then the Jazz are going to be in that conversation. OKC losing four games to start the year is great. Yeah, That's absolutely. Exactly what it helps. Um, to, to answer the question, I, I don't think Boston's a shoe-in for the number one pick, certainly in the regular season. I might have them as the favorites to make it out of the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs, but uh, just because, again, Toronto's playoff history is so checkered that, like, it's... I, I basically have run out of trust for them. This You shouldn't look at it as a year-to-year thing that, like, they lost against LeBron last year. Now LeBron's out of the East, and maybe they can do it. But like, And it's different. They added Kawhi, yeah, who they've never had a top-five right. player in the league. And Kawhi right now, I, I saw a really funny tweet. That just, Kawhi is healthy as hell. Like, Kawhi is so healthy right <laughs> he now. He says he's not. There's no way he wasn't healthy. He you lies know, about things in the opposite way of Derek Favors. Yeah, Derek exactly. Favors says he's healthy, and he may not be. Kawhi Leonard says he's not. And like, it's just like, come on, Kawhi. You just put up 35 and yeah. 10 and, you know, yeah. You saw his blind steal. Did you see oh that? Oh, my it's goodness. Hilarious. That's such a good play. I mean, A, it's an awful pass from Gorgie Jang. But still, Kawhi assumed, oh, well, here's the lane. I know that's where Gorgie's to pass the ball because I've done my research on film. So I'm just going to dive in this passing lane. And absolutely, yeah. he picked off a ball perfectly. No-look steals. The, on a diving, a diving no-look steal right. is... Insane. Insane. Like, it, it's, it's a Instinctual, phenomenal play. Yeah, in, in small space is great. Yeah. Kawhi's awesome. He's, I love Kawhi. Leonard. He's so much fun to watch. And like, exactly why you give up whatever you have to to get those guys when they become yeah. available. Now, if he leaves, is it a big deal? Sure. They don't replace DeMar DeRozan by waking up tomorrow after Kawhi leaves, and they won't get any compensation for him if he bounces. You don't replace DeMar DeRozan. That's a really hard thing to do. But, man, if he stays, that's the best trade they've, anyone's ever yeah. made. I, I think especially if you are the Lakers – they should have traded for, yes. for Kawhi. Can you imagine if because you had Kawhi and this team minus Brandon Ingram or whoever? What do you think? What do you think the odds are that Kawhi stays in Toronto? Fifty-fifty. That's higher than I would say. Okay. But let's, let's say. What do you think the odds are if Kawhi had found himself in a Laker uniform? What are the odds he stays there? Yeah. Sixty forty. Seventy-five. Higher than that. Seventy-five. Twenty-five. California guy. Yeah. Seventy-five. Right. Twenty-five. Eighty. Twenty. Maybe maybe not 90-10, but really high. The only reason I say it is because Kawhi is the weirdest mystery we've ever had. Because I would okay. have said he's 100% locked to stay in San Antonio his whole career. And he faked, he didn't fake an injury, but whatever happened, he, he quit on that team. Sure. So yeah. he's just okay. a weird mystery. So but you, yeah. You may think he, he may not be true to his But word what were and... his odds to stay in Sacramento when he, or to stay in Toronto when he was in San Antonio? Zero. And sure. then they traded for him. Now you get to audition for him for a year. Sure. And maybe he likes it because he's a weirdo. Now is a. Uh... 100% odds of keeping DeMar DeRozan better than 30% odds of Kawhi? Yeah, right. I think that's the question you have to ask, and obviously that's what Masai Ujiri, their general manager, did and, and decided, you know, let's go for it, and I think that makes sense. Um, but for the Lakers, when that odds, when those odds go from 30-70, 50-50 to 80-20, I think that's a not, the trade you definitely have to do. Again, because Brandon Ingram is a pretty flawed player. Bad GMs fall in love with their young prospects based on potential mm-hmm. as opposed to realizing that maybe the biggest value those guys honestly have is that they can be turned into something better. 
Now, not that they can themselves become better, but they can be turned into something better. Right. And, you know, you're getting to the point with Brandon Ingram where he's running out of that rookie contract and you will have to pay him a lot. And then you're you're not getting any value over what you'd pay him in free agency. So, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm curious how that that ends up going. You know, I think the Lakers will be fine. I do think they will find some star to sign with them next year. Um, but I do think that this Lakers team is unless at it's risk Kevin of missing, Durant missing the playoffs. Unless it's Kevin Durant, they're not going to find a guy who's better than Kawhi Leonard. No, and there's a chance it's Kevin Durant. <laughs> it might but, be Kevin Durant. Then you might get a reasonable facsimile of in, in, like Jimmy Butler, who's you know 85 percent sure. Kawhi, and sure. then you get to keep Brandon Ingram too, and maybe you say that's worth it. Yeah, but like, do you think Brandon Ingram makes a difference in a Finals series? You know, like I don't know if he's that guy. Honestly, yeah, don't. I, I don't mean, know if he's that good. Right. He does off the bench, right? Like, if you have Brandon Ingram rather than Iman Shumpert, you know, yeah. I'm just throwing out random NBA wing, you know, I think that, that makes sense. But, but yeah, you can go get those. If you're the favorite to win a championship, you can find a Sean Livingston who wants to play for you or a David West who wants to take a pay cut and play with you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't understand that. If you can go get a top five player and you think you've got a great chance to resign him once he's there, pull the trigger, which going back to Houston probably makes sense why they should pull that trigger to go and get Jimmy Butler. Agreed. Um, and why they why they might now? I, I'm curious now that Houston's given up four first round picks. Whether Miami is still or is uh, apparently rumored to be giving up four first round picks. Whether Miami's deal of Josh Richardson, Bam Adebayo, and maybe a first still adds up. But that's a big haul again for an expiring player. Minnesota may have played this pretty well, really well. Uh, what would you rather have? Uh, the the four the four first round picks. You would rather have four first round picks. What's a bigger price to pay? What do you mean? Who's giving up more? Oh. Because, like you said, Bam, Josh Richardson, and picks is a lot to give up. Uh, I still think Houston is giving up the future of their franchise. You know, Bam is a very good player. I think they could be giving up just a monstrously talented player that you you just don't know what's going to happen with four first round picks that it could ruin your franchise for a decade, like as with the Nets. I think the Miami picks are going to be better. Oh yeah, I agree. I could be wrong, though. Maybe the Miami picks aren't. Miami, well, out. one Miami pick is not as good as four Houston picks. Correct. But those four Houston picks again. Yeah, but if you're getting past the Jimmy Butler, Chris Paul era, then yeah, those picks could start to get good. It's just a gamble. It's a risk. Yep. I get it. And you know what? Again, the same thing we were just talking about with your young prospects. Don't fall in love with them to the point where you'll never trade them because half of their value is your willingness to trade them again or to trade them after you draft them. Same thing with draft picks. Trading draft picks you've acquired is fantastic. If you have somebody else's draft pick and you can trade it the way the Jazz had Oklahoma City's draft pick and trade it for Ricky Rubio, that was good. That was smart of the Jazz. Now, it would have been fun to have, I don't even know who OKC drafted with that pick, but and that, it may have even gotten traded for somebody. Yeah. But Or who Minnesota, they got, is it, it wasn't Josh Okoge, was it? I think that was. Maybe it was Okoge. Either way, uh, these picks are fun to have, but trading them is also valuable. You know, having them as trade pieces is really valuable as well, so... There's options out there if you end up with four first-round picks to keep you alive. And you can package them to get rid of terrible contracts. And trading them in that third or fourth year of that rookie deal is kind of the way to go, right? Because you, you trade Rodney Hood before you have to pay him, basically, is, is the idea. Then We've seen the Jazz do that. Follow us on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. Read Andy in the Salt Lake Tribune. And make sure you subscribe because you're not going to get better Jazz coverage than from Andy Larson. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Catch me Monday through Friday right here, 2 to 6 on ESPN 700. Thanks to James, our producer. Today, we'll ideally be back with you next Thursday. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. 
Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase.